Welcome to Take Heart, where our goal is to offer encouragement, give hope and insight so you can flourish in your journey as a special needs mom. As we explore monthly themes, share inspiring stories, and practical tips, our desire is to continue to serve you and new listeners. Would you mind sharing our podcast with a friend? You can learn more about us on our website at TakeHeartSpecialMoms.com, and there are links in the show notes at the bottom of this episode. Thank you for joining us today. Hi there. Welcome to episode 95 of Take Heart. This is Carrie M. Holt, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. We are continuing our summer interview series, and I had the privilege of interviewing our guest today, Kara Riska. Kara is a life coach who helps moms of children with special needs regain control of their lives. And we all need help with that, right? Women come to her feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and anxious. And through their work together, moms leave feeling at peace, confident, and capable of navigating any circumstances that come their way. So a little bit about Kara. In 2011, she and her husband, Dan, received life-altering news that their second oldest child had a massive brain tumor. After major surgery and months of recovery, she now parents a child with multiple special needs, along with three other amazing children, ages 14 to 4. Kara also hosts a weekly podcast that is entitled The Special Needs Mom Podcast. Through this podcast, she is creating a watering well for moms who often feel alone and in desperate need of support and connection. And you can find more about Kara at Kara that's R-Y-S-K-A dot com. And we will have links in the show notes again at the bottom of this episode. Welcome, Kara. Thank you so much for being a guest on Take Heart today. Thank you. So let's start off by having you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family. So I am a mother of four. I have three boys and a daughter, um, ages 14 to four, very close to 15 and five. But uh, And I'm married to my my college sweetheart, Dan, and we've, I think we've been married almost 18 years. Actually, we were trying to do the math. It's something like 17 or 18 years. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so, and my second oldest son, who is about to turn 13, was diagnosed 10 years ago when he was two with craniopharyngioma, which is brain tumor. And we uh, did an immediate surgery to um, basically remove his surgery, or excuse me, 
to remove his tumor and it resulted in a two-month stay in the hospital and because it was a pretty impactful surgery and while we feel so fortunate to have had the surgeon that we did um you know it it was uh, he had to make some choices he had to make some choices to to keep some of the tumor or to take some of the brain um and he he made the choice to to be a little bit more aggressive and we are thankful that he did that and he has a number of resulting conditions. So he's um, partially blind. He's blind in one eye fully and limited in the other. He has a condition called penhypopituitarism, which basically means he doesn't produce any of the hormones that you and I hopefully do. And he has hemiplegia, so he's um, weaker. So for some people, that means they're fully uh, handy or um, paralyzed on one side. For him, he just has um, weaker um, spasticity and uh, lower muscle tone on that left side. So he's able to walk and he's able to even run, um, but he has a very modified gait and a very limited stamina. And I think that covers it. I have to kind of do a little body scan to like remember all the different things. And actually the one thing I will add is that um, there's the invisible disabilities of um, the behavioral side of one, when a child has been through such significant trauma, there's a consequence of that. And additionally, um, just the behavioral side, um, some of the parts of his brain that were impacted definitely relate to behavior. So. Our whole family has experienced what it's like to have somebody that has very different needs and it has required all of us to really grow and to be stretched and to be very much in process with um, what life looks like in a way that we feel like we're flourishing and, and living the lives that we want. So what are some of those things that your family does? Our podcast, we did a sibling, a month on siblings back mm. in the spring where we actually interviewed our other siblings and all of our families. And it was very popular and very insightful. What are some things that your family does to, to flourish when you're dealing with all of your sec your second son's medical needs? Well, I can't say that we exactly are flourishing yet, but we are always trying. And one thing that I have specifically done is really try to validate the sibling experience um, and to maybe to try to give a lot of um, extra space to that. To to because actually in in even with attempting to do that, my oldest son has expressed that like sometimes he feels overlooked, right? And sometimes he feels like his needs don't matter as much. And so I try to just allow his experience to be 100% valid and not try to push it away or to compare it to his brother's. Because of course, his brother's experience is different than his. And one could say, yeah, if you can compare the two, like it's obvious which one you would choose. However, that doesn't make, we'll just use my oldest son, it doesn't make his experience any less valid or any less painful or any less traumatizing to him. Right. So we really just try to give voice to that. Um, I've also offered all of my kids access to therapy um, and not um, required them to go, but made sure that one, I'm modeling going myself and two, that I'm, I'm valuing the concept of healing ourselves and mending trauma and even just, um, yeah, that it's, it's a normal and, and wonderful thing to do. Yeah. And I love how you said 
you validate the siblings' experiences because I think none of us do this perfectly, right? Like we're not flourishing mm-hmm. on a daily basis. We have really good days and really bad days. But I think when we're cognizant of that and that their pain is real and valid and for us not to say, well, you're not going through cancer treatment, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, then I think that's, that's really good for our other for other kids. So you mentioned a little bit about your own journey with seeing a counselor and with medical trauma and recovery. So could you talk a little bit? Yeah, well, I think I'll back up a little bit. And actually, I think what I'll also add is um, saying that so 10 years ago was our first uh, encounter with cancer and then becoming a special needs mom. And then uh, we knew that there was a possibility of recurrence with the type of tumor. So we would scan every year. And unfortunately, last fall, the scan did show that we had recurrence. So starting last fall, we've kind of, it's its really interesting. It's a very, um, it's a very different experience now than it was when he was two. Yeah. Uh, but we've been, we've undergone two brain surgeries and now we're in process, actually in our last week of proton beam radiation. So kind of just mapping out kind of just even what's happened with his health and then ma- and then kind of going back to my experience, I came into being a mom really blissfully unaware <laughs> of, of what some. And so while I think that I was um, like my college experience was a really beautiful process of being spiritually formed, kind of really owning my relationship with God and having it be real to me and and very meaningful. So I feel like I had um, a wonderful foundation. And I would say that the first experience of meeting something like brain cancer in a two-year-old really tested my faith. Mm. And I remember this couple years after his experience, because it, it takes quite a bit to recover. And actually, I'll add that I was pregnant with my third son at the time of my second oldest son's diagnosis. So I was not only supporting a child through brain surgery and and all the recovery, I was pregnant and having a baby. So needless to say, this was a very hard time. Yeah. And, and then of course, uh, I'm sure many of the listeners will relate to the the financial like challenges that come with um, having, I was working full time and Actually, I was working part time. But however, we live in Southern California. So we really we weren't working because I loved my job at the time I was working because it was part of our financial um, stability. And so it's like our whole my whole core was was shaken. And I'd say what was also shaken is like my ability to kind of rely on myself. (laughs) Yeah. And um, while I think ultimately, that was a good thing. um, It was not an easy thing. And I think the the years after, I think I really questioned God's goodness. I was like, how can a good God leave me out to dry here? Because that's kind of the experience I had. I I had a lot of, actually, the, one of the things that really was a rock for me is seeing the way that, that Christians and actually even non-Christian people showed up and served our family. Yeah. Showed up and they gave, they brought meals. And so I feel like I felt so loved by many people that for me, it was where I was like, okay, like I, I'm not sure how good you are right now, God, but I do know that these people were very loving 
And so it really was something where I just wrestled with it for many years. And I think I had my own experience of just being very, very angry that this had happened to my son. It's one thing, I think it's, it's, it's a real soft spot for us moms to witness our children going through pain. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's where the thing that really helped me when I was able to acknowledge that God never promised that we wouldn't hurt and suffer. His promise was that he would be with us. And I think that subtle shift Because I think ultimately my questioning of God's goodness was questioning why he would let this thing happen, that he couldn't be good if he, if he did. Yeah. And you can see where that just, it it was leading me down to a lot of hopelessness, a lot of anger. And not to say that I I shouldn't have, or I wouldn't still want to experience some anger because I mean, it's, it's, it's a natural and wonderful feeling and well, I should say valuable feeling. Yeah. I don't know if I would call it wonderful, but I think it's part of the experience that, you know, God's given us the ability to have these wide spectrum of feelings. And I think there's a reason for that. So, so that was kind of the early phase of kind of my experience and kind of breaking down and, and start of recovery. And about five years ago, I was feeling stable enough to say, hey, like, I want to kind of do the next thing. Like, I want to use this experience that I have had to help other people. And so I decided that for me would be becoming a life coach. And it's so funny when I look back now, I'm like, I had no idea what I was like thinking, (laughs) signing up to be a life coach. Um, I mean, I knew enough to know that like, it wasn't that I was going to tell you what to do. Like, that's not what life coaches actually do. but it's is I was uh, again very blissfully unaware of what it would actually take um, to be able to to be a life coach, um, especially um, as I evolved to recognizing like the people that I really want to help the most. Because I didn't go into it thinking I was going to be a special needs mom life coach. I was very much like, oh, okay, like I worked in a in a male dominated industry. I'm going to go coach in in corporate, I'm going to do all that and kind of really do the, I, I loved, I loved being a working mom. And it was time and time again that I basically was called back to like, no, this is the community that needs this the most yeah. and that you have a very unique ability to give it. So in that five-year process, I, I started being trained as a coach and I became a coach and it was kind of along with that, that I feel like I, I was able to really discover parts of me that had been tucked away all of my life for one reason or another, right? Yeah. We all have things that we do when we grow up and just from our, our family of origin kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I kind of really rediscovered me. And, and so it was actually a really beautiful time of kind of restoring my faith and kind of reckoning and still in process with that. Of course. There's still times where I'm like, you know, God, you feel very far away. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was kind of the beginning of my journey. And I'd say it was, it's been this, um, it's interesting actually, right before my son got diagnosed this last fall, we were at the hospital uh, for one of his routine MRIs 
And I noticed that my body was having a response to being in some of the, some of the hallways. There was certain sounds and certain lights that really I noticed that my body was like, we are not safe here. And so I noticed that and I, I said, you know what? I think it's time to like, to uncover this. I think it's time to address the trauma that has been. And so I reached out to a therapist that was specifically trained in, in helping with trauma recovery. Yeah. And uh, we were in process of scheduling. Now, interestingly enough, it was just like a week or a few days later that I got the new diagnosis of, wow. of that he would have um, many more um, potentially medical trauma experiences, he and I. And so uh, it was interesting because I, um, I was like uh, to the new therapist that I'm meeting, I'm like, okay, so um, I was coming in for this old trauma, but I think we're going to have a lot more to work with. Um, and so it's been lovely having that level of support to uh, to rely on as part of my support structure during this season. And in this season, I think has been an opening to learn how to grieve well. Yeah. And I think, um, I, of course, I think you have to, as a mom in, in shoes like ours, you have to grieve. Yeah. Uh, but I think for me, it's, it's a place that I would visit and kind of run away from as soon as I could. It wasn't a place I wanted to stay. And so really the, the time I'm in, in, in my life right now is recognizing, okay, grief is actually um, something that can accompany us everywhere. And we don't necessarily have to turn it on and off it can coincide with all of our life. And so I'm still very much in process with learning this. And um, I'm actually really excited to, to see what it opens, uh, not just for me, because um, I think it's gonna open a lot for me and just really um, deepening my experience with feeling all of it. But I, I'm also very excited to be able to at, at whatever point that I'm ready to be able to share that with the people that I work with. And, yeah. um, cause I think it's, um, there's a lot, I think for yeah, us moms. For sure. Yeah, I know. I, I write and talk a lot about grief. Cause I just remember when my son was five, he had a like week long hospital stay that was really, we got out of the stay and it was kind of like, we didn't really have a reason why he was in. It was just weird symptoms and they couldn't figure out. But of course we go to like an ENT appointment. Then we walk out of that point with another surgery scheduled. They're like, Oh, he needs ear tubes. It's probably, that's probably what it was or whatever. And at the time in my life, there were just all these other things going on. Our older two boys were finishing up school and my sister had a bridal shower or something and we were traveling and, and all of a sudden, I'm like yelling at a librarian because she had <laughs> absolutely no grace over some books that our toddler daughter had like ruined at the time. And I just felt like God looked at me and was like, you are grieving. You mm -hmm. have been holding this together for the last five years because I knew that grief kind of accompanies like the beginning, the, the diagnosis and that process. But I thought it was going to be this one and done thing. And yeah, it yeah. is not, it's, it's happening now when my son is 15 and I'm watching all of his friends get their driver's permits, you know, I mean, it's just, and I, I hate to say this phrase, but it's almost like 
like you said, you have to hold it and it can go with you. It's, you almost have to make this friendship with grief. Like, Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It has to become, okay, this is a part of what I have to hold in my heart and not that you have to love it or, but that it's okay to carry that. And it's not a either, or it's a both and with your emotions. So I love how you talked about that. I think something that also helps me is, um, yeah, very much the both and definitely. And I think that actually was a very big pivotal point was when I, it was actually, I was at a Thanksgiving, um, like it was around Thanksgiving season. I was at church and of course they're talking about gratitude. And I was like, I am not thankful for this. (laughs) I was really having a hard time. And it was actually the pastor that was really kind of creating the conversation of the both and that you can both be devastated and angry and all the things and you can in other ways have gratitude and joy and it was actually it's so great to look back at that because like now it seems like so simple but at the time for me it was it was life-changing and because i think i was thinking i was misinterpreting the conversation about gratitude to think that i had to be thankful for my son's brain tumor and i was like there's no part of me like that will say i'm thankful for that that was that's horrible and so I think for me being able to like have this like um like I'm looking I'm thinking of a I'm visualizing like an um artist palette and like having all the different colors on it and we get to have the bright yellow and bright orange and we also get to have like the colors that ran together and it's kind of like an ugly brown color. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Maybe not the most desirable color. And yet all of that together can be really it can be used to paint something truly beautiful, right? right? So our life can still be beautiful. And it is beautiful because it has all the spectrum in there. Yeah. And I think um, what happens, I think this was helpful for me to understand as well, is what happens when we, like you, your picture of like stuffing down and surviving to that point where you were like yelling at the library, like librarian, is like that was your survival. You were stuffing down the emotions, which is what a coping strategy is, right? Like that is right. part of what we do. Yeah. And sometimes we get stuck there and we keep stuffing and we keep stuffing, which is very effective to stuff the hard that we don't want to feel. But the unfortunate byproduct is it also stuffs the happy. It stuffs the joy. It stuffs like the feeling of aliveness. And so what happens, and so I think that, and this happens, I think all the time to special needs moms is that we, we don't know who we are anymore. We don't even know how to like the idea of feeling happy is almost like "Mm, I'll just settle for not feeling horrible right and I actually think that like and I I you know I don't want to sound like oh yeah feeling happy is the goal in life and that's all we need to work on however I think feeling happy is a wonderful thing because people that are happy go out and do wonderful things in the world and so I don't think it's the goal of life but I think it's certainly something that all moms should does that like seek and, right. and work towards right definitely and i think like you said when you stuff down the hard you're also stuffing the good too i i feel like we have to bless our coping mechanisms i think sometimes we look back on how we coped and survived in situations and we feel a lot of contempt for ourselves or for how we handled things 
And we have to understand and know that God designed our bodies to be able to have fight or flight, to be able to have the adrenaline, to be able to have the stuffing, because I talk about this all the time. If I felt the feelings that I really wanted to feel in the middle of medical trauma, I could not function or make decisions, sometimes life saving decisions for my child. And now that he's old enough and cognizant enough to pick up on my moods, he can read my face like a book. Mm. And I don't want to vicariously give him my own trauma either. So you have to, you know, put on the face a little bit. So he, cause he's dealing with his own grief and his own trauma and processing his own feelings, especially being, you know, a teenager and things like that. But I, we have to remember, I think I want to encourage our listeners to remember to bless those times also, because they were how you survived those moments. I think that's such a good point. I'm so glad that you put that in there. Cause I, I definitely think that, you know, as we start to learn about coping mechanisms and things we do, like we start, we do start to kind of turn on them and be like that. It's a bad thing that we need to get rid of. Yeah. And I think that, um, they like, just like you said, it's a wonderful gift that, um, we, fortunately have been able to use quite a bit as special needs moms. Yes. So I think we get very good at it. And I do think it, it does take some intention to uh, to step out of the safety of those coping mechanisms, right? And so yeah. I think that's where, you know, in seasons where we're not in the kind of the higher stress seasons, it's the opportunity to kind of recognize, okay, I wanna, I wanna have a different experience and while this is a gift, I love, I love having this gift. I want to also explore what else is out there for me if I'm not kind of in this survival um, state, survival mechanism and, and just coping. Yeah. So what are some strategies that you have discovered on your journey of helping him walk through this experience? Well, it's interesting that you asked because I actually think it really relates to what we were just speaking about. I think that my inability to actually allow all of the emotions, specifically, I have a hard time with sadness. It has a, like you said, kids are so clever at picking up on what their parents, probably especially moms, are are like feeling on the inside, right? We can have a smile on the outside, but they are they are very they're they're very fine tuned to pick up with the other vibrations that are happening. And so, because where I was starting out, uh, he's picked up that oh, mommy doesn't like it when I'm sad. And so, what I'll do is I'll just kind of be happy all the time. Mm -hmm. And so what I have done is to help him is help myself first. Yeah. And so this is where like, when we talk about putting the oxygen mask on, it's like, okay, I go to therapy first. I say, I'm so sorry, I have to go on a walk right now. Or um, sorry, we, we can't do that right now, because I actually have some needs I need to tend to. So it's actually allowing myself to say no to my children and to say yes to myself. That goes so against our grain, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, I still have to work through the narrative 
that or like say for instance i want to um a couple weeks ago a friend had a book launch and she was having a retreat um and the narrative that is automatic in my head is that you should not leave your children right it's saturday you already left them for work you should not and it's just automatic and so yeah. what the work i have learned to do is really question that to say i don't know that that actually is true right so of course i'm of course i want my children not to feel abandoned and neglected <laughs> right and um and there's many other things um besides staying with them 24 7 that will have them know that i am absolutely there for them so yes so so yes so taking care of myself and tending to my own needs i say is first and i say after that when i am because also like i just have to say is like when i have not done that i literally cannot hear and tend to my children right. I'm trying to actually think of an, oh, well, so you know, I've had some van trouble lately and it's just not been good timing. And that day that I had van trouble, what I noticed was my children were talking to me and I wasn't, I literally had to say what, like several times, because I was so emotionally escalated from the stress of the van that I actually wasn't available to listen to my children. And so that's a really, um, so I have learned to notice these things because of what I do. And I just, I've, it's a practice. You pay, you learn to pay attention to these little things. Yeah. And so, you know, in that case, like what I, I just really allowed it to, to be there, right? Like I just allowed myself to ask, I'm sorry, I did not hear what you say. I wasn't paying attention, um, to ask my children so that I could be more present with them. And, you know, and not all of our days, we're going to get this perfect. Right. So that day you know fortunately it has passed <laughs> but um so yes yeah, so but also like really working with therapists with my child with my child to help him recover from the trauma and you know i, I want to honor his privacy and not share too much of, of sure. more than that however i would say that um me being open um to this work has led to me being open to supporting him in this work yeah. Um, of recovery, of questioning, of wondering what what God's plan is with all of this. Yeah. And um, I think being willing to kind of not know and to kind of just be in the grief of like, honey, I don't know why God let this happen. And it sucks. And we don't have to say, all right, we don't have to say at this time um, that it's good. Right. Because right? I think sometimes I've actually had the experience where for me, when I was going through some of the more extreme times of just struggling, I would walk in, there's actually a specific memory have. I, I would walk into church and um, there was a very enthusiastic reader. <laughs> and he was like, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was like, today is good because God is good or it was something like that. And the experience that I had is it didn't leave room to say, you know what, today doesn't feel good. Yeah. And so for me, like I, I think giving our children the ability to say this is really sucks and it's, and it's hard and I don't like it and I don't yet see the good in it and just letting it be 
like without yeah. having to fix it. So yeah. I'm still working on the not having to fix it part because yeah, I'm desperately too. like, I want to make you feel better. You're yes. my baby. I'm going to figure out a way to make you happy. <laughs> yes. uh, and I'm laughing about that, but it's not too far from actually how it feels <laughs> on the inside when right. my children are not happy. And it, and so anyhow, so I'm working on just allowing it to, to be without, without, without having to do anything. Um, so yeah, that's what comes to mind. And, um, I think also I'll add this as well. I think even recently, I'm also learning about, um, giving language to the value of humans just because they're human without having to attach value to the like their productiveness in society right yes and i think that it's interesting because i've just noticed for myself how i happen to be a type three enneagram so what that means is like i like to do stuff i like to get stuff done i like to move forward i i that's just like where my brain feels most alive and for some of our kids they might not be writing books and inventing widgets or going to college right so the the so when you attach somebody's value to what they do or what they accomplish it really can kind of turn you upside down when you have a child that doesn't fit into that model Right. And so for me, it's been very valuable to recognize, and this is not just for my child, this is actually for all humans, is recognizing like the value that we have is for, it's just because we're human. We were created as these valuable beings just because yeah. like we didn't do anything we can't do anything to make ourselves more valuable. Like it's the essence of who we are. Yeah. So for me, that has really helped just kind of open um, a new way of looking at, at, at things, especially because it helps me realize we don't have to go anywhere. Like there's no destination to get to. Um, and especially during this season where we're, we're pretty much not going anywhere it's really helped me to, to like kind of be okay in the moments where we're kind of just existing. Yeah. And that was something that it's, it, it was really difficult for me. For really sure. Really had um, a, an, an attachment to having to work and be productive. Yeah. And I love how you said that there, I think, I think we get so focused on getting through something, the other side, right. The goal yeah of getting through so we can really live life. And one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis is he says something to the effect of, you know, you, you're just waiting to live your real life when your real life is all the bad things that happen to you every day. That is real life. So instead of just waiting to live when you're on the other side of it, how about we learn how to live well? just in it, you know? I actually, I'm so glad that you put that in there as well. I feel like the little saying that I have similar to C.S. Lewis, and it was actually from my cousin's blog when he was biking through Central America. <laughs> and he said, this is your life. You're living it now. Yeah. And I'm like, it's so simple because I very much relate to like the person that's just getting through something. 
And like when we are done with this, then we will feel better. And as we know, as mothers with very complex children, that that I'm pretty sure that place doesn't exist. There's right. not this destination where all of a sudden my my son's brain is healed. Yeah. And so, um, yes, I think that it's time to recognize like this is our life. So earlier you mentioned just a little bit how in your faith journey, the community that came around you became kind of an example to you of God's goodness. I know we do have some listeners who are grandparents and family members and things like that. Do you have any words of just advice or encouragement? Yeah, I, I'm going to speak to two different people groups. First, the the parents, the moms, um, and maybe dads of special needs kids. Um, one of the things that I hear the most is how alone and isolated people feel. And of course, I can relate to that and totally understand that. And I want to say that I think that there's a gift for us as special needs parents as we learn to share our story. I think a lot of times we, we expect or hope or think that people should come over and kind of reach their hand all the way over to us to, to know. But I actually, I think it's a call to be like personally responsible that people don't know how to help you. They have no idea what you're going through. And I think most of us on this side, like we would, we can, I can recognize and own like I had, I would have no idea if I wasn't in these shoes. And so expecting our friends or family to have any sort of idea on how to connect with us, um, maybe that's not serving us. Right. And so I think learning to share our stories and tell our stories is really valuable both for us in having a voice, but also in actually stories are connecting, right? Like that's how we learn. Like people won't relate to necessarily like your, your child does not have a brain tumor. However, you shared a little bit of your story and like all of a sudden we feel connected Yes, because we saw some things that are um, similar or at least we feel like we understand a little bit about each other's lives. Right. So that's kind of what I would say about creating community um, as special needs moms specifically. And so on the other side of that, I think, you know, for people that aren't necessarily the primary caretaker, but people that love parents and children with special needs, I would say um, be specific in questions that you ask. Yeah. Right. I think there's something very special for me when someone really wants to know about the medical journey of my son. Yeah. Because a lot of times we experience very um, superficial questions. And I I don't mean that they don't care. I just mean that it's like, oh, hey, how's it going? And that's a very hard question to ask after you've had a two-month hospital stay. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think be very specific and be very intentional about listening. And I would say additionally, when you say, I would love to help you, um, go a little further and say, I would love to help you. Can I bring you food on Tuesday? Or can I hire somebody to come clean your house? Or can I come clean your house? Or w- being specific allows, like, just consider that, like, if the only job of that person that you're wanting to support and be community to is that they say yes, then you've done a good job. You've done a, yes. a great job at being specific. So I guess that's what I would have to say and what I would start. And I think, um, I guess I'll add one last thing is recognizing that, um, 
Our society is not yet recognized what some people need to be fully included. Yeah. And so when we look at churches, I think what we can see is that a lot of people don't have access to churches. Yeah. Even something as simple as adult changing uh, tables or right. changing tables for large, larger kids. That if, if a parent doesn't have that or a caretaker doesn't have that for their child, then they're not able to access church in yeah. a way that actually provides dignity to that child and that parent. So just something simple like that, or even, you know, I am still um, in process with figuring this out. So my son is very able in many ways, but because of his medical uh, background and behavioral, um, he's not somebody that we can just send to junior high camp. And like I can with my oldest son, or even right. my, my, my fourth grader I can send him on his way and, you know, Yes. say some prayers and, you know, <laughs> fix the chaplips when they come home. Right. But, um, but, uh, for my, uh, middle son to be able to go to camp, my husband has to go. So there's actually a financial impact to that, that we're actually paying for two people to go to camp, um, potentially take time off work. And so I think, um, I, I don't know the answers yet, but I think, um, I think that also I would say that, um, not expecting the special needs parents to to carry the full burden of having the challenge and fixing their challenge uh, because we're already you know we're already our hands are pretty full right and so of course there are some of us that decide we want to start campaigns and foundations and all the, the crazy things we do but some of us don't have the energy for that all the time right and so i would say um ask good questions and see, in, in, in if you if you are wondering where these people are, they're probably at home because church is not accessible to them. Right, that's so good. It's you're and you're so right. I mean, a lot of times it's it's like we're the ones that might be expected to serve in the special needs ministry at church. And at this point in my life, I have no compassion. I have compassion fatigue so greatly. I have no depth or margin to to serve or to to do that. So I love how you shed light on when we're holding the burden, we shouldn't be expected to also solve the challenges that are coming along with it. So, or at least to be the only ones expected yeah, to exactly solve right. The it's partnership, right? Yes. It's like, you know, like it's not, um, again, back to your, you're saying it's not either, or it's really a both. And yes. And I think, um, when you look at like the most functional communities, it's, it's everybody bringing their gifting. Yes. And our gifting might be receiving, right? And like recognizing right. that that actually is a gift to community. Um, I, I can't remember who it was right now, but somebody had brought us a meal or done something very kind for us recently. And I just said, thank you. And she said, well, thank you for, um, she said it in a very kind way that didn't come across in a, it just came across so beautifully. Like, thank you for letting us help you. But it was, it was said a little bit differently. And it was like, Oh, okay. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> so, and it was, but like the way she actually was being about it was actually like, like the, I was a gift to her. And that was a really beautiful thing too, right? Because it is, um, it can be very difficult to be in a long and like prolonged experience of receiving. Yes. Um, especially like I've, I've been there recently, yeah. um, both in asking for funds and fundraising and, and meals and rides and all the things. Um, it can be quite exhausting. Be hard. So in closing, we do try to ask all of our guests this question. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? What comes up is like learning 
to feel the sad, learn mm-hmm. to feel the grief and allow it to be that you don't have to be strong the whole way through. Like, yeah, you do have to kind of army up a little bit um, to get through some of the hard seasons, but do whatever it takes to give yourself some space to like emotionally, spiritually recover. Yeah. So I think that's the thing that um, the soonest, like the soonest that you can have access to, to that part, um, I think the better. Because yeah. I think that um, we cannot white knuckle it through through this kind of life. So I think that that's almost just like, I feel like that would be like the most um, like salve for the soul that yeah. you could give yourself. That's great. Well, thank you for being our guest, Kara. I think you shared so much wisdom today with our listeners and we're so grateful that you were here today. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us this week on Take Heart. Our prayer each week is for your heart to be encouraged. We are grateful you are walking on the journey with us. Be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter and follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Take Heart Special Moms. If you have any questions or comments, follow the links in our show notes. We love hearing from our listeners. And tune in next week as we hear from our final guest on our summer interview series.